I am Groot. Who said that? Good morning. Good morning. Great to see all of you this morning. Maybe some of you this morning are kind of tired. I've been kind of tired this week, but now's the time to get energized because guess what? We have the same power in us that raised Jesus from the grave. So let's stand and sing about that right now. <laughs>
Matthew 5, 8 reminds us, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Let's pray together. Lord, we're so thankful that we can come together this morning for this time of worship. Father, we are here to worship you because of what you have done and for the blessings we can have because of that. Lord, let us make this morning all about you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Good to see everyone this morning. We're here to lift up Christ together and glad that you've chosen to do that with us today. Before we continue singing this morning, sometimes you get an opportunity to fill out your connection card. For those of us who are here, they're in the bulletin. You can also do them online. And for those of you who fill those out online, particularly our guest link, you'll get two text messages from us. One uh, saying that uh, it gives you the connection card, and the second one you'll get a survey later in the day. But we do not use those numbers for marketing purposes, so you can rest assured you will not get inundated. So you can trust us with that one. Also this morning, before we continue singing, make sure that, you, uh, that you just, you've just lifted your heart to the Lord, because that's why we're here today. At this point, I'm going to turn things back over to the praise team as we continue to lift the Lord up in song.
John 8, verse 12, we read, Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life.
Well, today we're going to dive into the second message in our series, the Bible, prioritizing God's word in your life. And as we do that, we're going to focus in on the blessing of the word. And life offers many options and many opportunities. There are just tons of them. And what we need to do in life, and really the key, particularly for some of you younger folks that haven't lived a lot of life yet, the key to your life's going to be figuring out What's going, to come, what's going to happen with where you're investing your life? Where are you going to invest your time, your talent, and your treasures? Because really, that's what we have in this earth. We have time, talent, and treasures. We have our heart and all that stuff that goes along with it. But we have to ask ourselves, where I'm investing those area, in those areas, what's going to come back? What is my return on investment? Many people invest money in stocks, bonds, and other money-making opportunities. And what they do is, when they're getting ready to put their money down, they consider things. And there's a lot of factors that they take into account before they pull the trigger and say, okay, I'm going to put my money in this basket. And when you make that investment, what is your hope? If you take $10,000 and say, I'm going to invest it in this particular stock, what are you wanting to happen? For those that started out in Bitcoin, for instance, uh, what are you wanting to happen? You're wanting that investment to come back big time, aren't you? You never invest $10,000, for example, and say, well, man, I hope I lose it all. That's really why I did this. Or I hope I make a dollar on it. Or I hope I lose a dollar. No, you, you got aspirations. You think, man, I'm, I'm hoping to hit this big. Well, when you think about your life, ultimately, you're hoping that what you invest in comes back big for you. Just like investing money, the investment of your life follows the same path. Have you ever considered the cost and return on what you're investing your life in today? Where are you putting your time, your talent, your treasures? Where is your heart? You know, Jesus says where your treasure is, your heart will be. Another way to translate that, which is legit, is where your investment is, that's where your heart is. So where are you putting those things? And have you ever thought about the current path that you're on and ask yourself, where is it going to lead? What is going to be the payback in the end? When it's all said and done, what is the, what is the return on the investment of your life? And this is an important question. And honestly, the sooner we figure that out in life, the easier and the better life gets to be. And I don't mean problem-free, but even with the problems, it gets easier. So we're going to be in Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 this morning. 
And we're going to examine two investment opportunities that you could do with your life. Now, I said earlier, there's a multitude of opportunities out there to invest, but the fact of the matter is, when it comes to your life, there's really only two. Now, one of those has a ton of offshoots and lots of veins that could go in many, many directions. But ultimately, when you cut away everything, there are two investments you can make with your life. And there are, t there are actually only two returns that come with those. When you choose the one that has a bunch of them, it still is going to come with the same payback, no matter which path of that you follow. The first book of the, uh, the first psalm is an introduction to the into all of the book of the book of Psalms. It celebrates the person who is blessed because they meditate on the Torah, prayerfully reading it and obeying it. The Hebrew word for Torah simply means teaching, and it also can refer to the first five books of the Old Testament, which was the foundation of Jewish teaching. And in Psalm one, it kind of has both meanings. Now, the book of Psalms is kind of being offered up as a, as a new Torah. In other words, the law was the law. Psalms really talks about how to apply that law, how to strive to obey God's commands and what that looks like. Psalm 1 is a wisdom psalm, most likely written by King David. And the author of the Psalms, what he's doing is he's encouraging the reader to forsake the lifestyle of what we call the wicked, what the Bible calls the wicked, and instead to be loyal to God and his word. And in Psalm 1, what you're going to find is a contrast between the destiny of the righteous and the wicked. The contrast in the destiny of those who are going to invest in God versus those who don't. Many times people have said all paths lead to the same God. They really don't. I mean, in a way, that'd be kind of cool, but it doesn't work that way. Jesus himself said, I am the way. Not a way. Remember, we talked a couple weeks ago about how the little word A and the make a big difference. That he is the truth and he's the life. And he says that no one comes to the Father except through him. So that's a path. And, and he gives us that opportunity. The psalmist is going to offer us perspective on the investment of return that you will make if you choose one path or the other. In other words, the psalmist says, here's, here's how it's going to turn out. Here's what will happen so that you can make a, a good decision. So if you have your Bibles, and it'll be on the screen also, we'll be in Psalm chapter 1, we'll start in verse 1, and it says this. How blessed is the one who does not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway of sinners, or seat, sit in the assembly of scoffers? The first observation we're going to see here this morning is we're first of all going to see the path to ruin. When you live your life, there comes a point that you, have, you realize that, you know what, I'm going to have to to decide how I'm going to live that life. You know, when we're younger, our parents are kind of the ones who tell us, here's how you're going to live your life. But then you hit a certain point in life and you say, okay, I've got to figure this out. And the, the sooner the better. Now, verse one is going to explain to us path one, the path to ruin. If you choose to invest your life in this path, what you'll find is the investment of your, the return on your investment is going to be horrific. It's going to be something that you don't want. But yet that's part of what people don't understand. Verse 1 in this passage begins with the phrase, how blessed. Now, the psalmist tells us if we follow the path of verse 1, by definition, we won't be blessed. In other words, if we follow the, the, the wicked and we, and we sit with the scoffers and so on, if we do those things, he says you won't be blessed but, because he says how blessed is the one who doesn't do them, that you don't do these. Now, the word blessed represents a happiness that comes from a God-given security 
and prosper and the prosperity it produces. In other words, when we think of happiness, I was kind of happy with the Super Bowl last week. You know, it was really cool to see the Chiefs win again, and probably again and again and again, hopefully. I'm really excited about baseball season. The Cardinals are at spring training. I'm hoping they're going to win a World Series. It'd make me very happy. But the, the term blessed here doesn't imply that God has just given some particular favor, a different word used for that. But instead, what it says is it means that the person who has conducted themselves, that this condition of blessedness is a result. For instance, if you decide in your life that you're going to eat right and exercise, the result is your body will be in better shape. Your body will be stronger. Your body will feel better. You'll be more healthy. You don't get healthy just because you think about it. Or somebody says, okay, you're healthy. You have to work at it. And what this passage is telling us, he says, hey, the person who's blessed is the one who's going to follow these things I'm going to give you. God's not going to say, okay, I'm going to give you a special blessing for it. But it says, when you understand that God has the right path for you, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be content. You're going to be secure and prosperity, a level of prosperity. And I'm not talking about the caviar Cadillac mansion thing, but God will be with you when you go through things. Remember when we were kids, when we trusted our parents? In other words, when we did what they told us to do, we did it because, hey, we knew that they had what was best for us. And we didn't have a lot of concerns, did we? You know, as a kid, I never, and of course I wasn't, you know, we weren't wealthy by any stretch, but we also weren't really super poor. I didn't have to worry about when I came home, are the lights going to be on? Are we going to get evicted from our house? Gosh, who's going to pay for the food? I went home and flipped those lights on and left them on back in the old days when we had the bulbs that burned a lot of energy, you know, um, the good old days with that. And I'd go home and I'd clean out the pantry and eat whatever I wanted to eat. I didn't worry about it. I just knew I ate the food and magically the next day more food was there. It was great. I never sweated it because, see, my parents took care of everything. I trusted them. Now, you get to be a teenager, what happens? You start to lose that trust. Because all of a sudden, mom and dad are telling you, you can't do things you want to do. And so then we disobey. Or then we obey begrudgingly because we're like, well, I guess I got to do this because mom and dad said I have to. But then things start to happen in life. We start to worry about things. We no longer have that peace. You know, Jesus talks a lot about a childlike faith. And that faith really involves that trust, that just that absolute trust. You know, when I was a little kid, my, my, I would jump off something. My dad would catch me. I didn't worry he'd just jump out of the way and let me hit something. He'd catch me until I got, you know, 18, he couldn't catch me anymore. But that's how things worked. And when you have that, when you have that assurance that you're blessed because you don't sweat things. Um, the happiness is a result of knowing that we're on the right path that we are that we're conducting ourselves the way God said because God cares we trust him so we don't fight him a good life is attractive and it brings real not superficial happiness when we're following God when we love God we have real true happiness we don't have to fake it I remember years ago there was a commercial on and this guy was mowing his yard and he's smiling and he, you know, life's good and he's losing everything he has he can't afford anything it's miserable for him but he's faking it till he can make it well when you have the true happiness that comes from god that blessing that comes from god you don't have to fake it till you make it because you already made it you're already there 
Now, when you dig into this passage, what you're going to see is a progression in verse 1, a progression that leads you down the path of ruin. You see the, the three words you'll see, follow, sit, stand, and sit. When we examine this, this verse a little bit deeper, you'll see this downward spiral and the deeper level of intimacy that we have that takes us down that negative path. We don't start off and just jump into the path of ruin. It's a gradual thing, typically, for most people. The first step to the path of ruin is this. In verse 1, he says, How blessed is the one who, first of all, does not follow the advice of the wicked. The word follow denotes to come alongside of, to go through, to walk with. So that's where it begins. We start questioning things in life. The first step of walking in the path of ruin is who are you going to when you have those questions? Who are you asking the questions to? And let, let's face it, questions are good. There's nothing wrong with questions. Even as Christians, there's nothing wrong with asking God questions. I was raised in a faith that said you don't do that. You just believe it because the priest told you to believe it. And it's like, okay, that doesn't work for me. Uh, I want some answers. And God's not afraid of that. But when you have these questions in life, the question is, where are you going for it? Where are you going for the answer? When I worked at Square D Company for many years, I saw a lot of marriages going down the tubes, a lot of them. And inevitably what would happen is when somebody was having a lot of trouble in their marriage, you know what they do? They go to other people that were having a lot of trouble with their marriage, maybe even on their second and third marriage. And if you can kind of understand, that's probably not a good place to go. For instance, let's say you have money you want to invest and you go to a financial advisor and that financial advisor, he shows you his portfolio and says, look at all the money I've lost. I mean, every client I've, every client I've had, I've lost all their money. You want to do business? Would you want to do business with somebody like that? And then the next guy comes in, here's my portfolio. Yeah, we've lost a few. It, you know, we're not perfect, but look at all the success we've had. Who would you go to for financial advice? Hopefully the one who's not lost their money every time he's made an investment. But a lot of times when we have these problems, we go to the people that have the same problems who haven't figured it out, and then we get the same bad advice. So who do you go to when you have questions in life? You have to be wise who you go to. The psalmist says the one who is blessed is the one who doesn't get that counsel from the wicked. Now, who is a wicked person? Now, when we use that term wicked, I can't imagine many of us have used that phrase about too many people. Maybe you have. You know, say, well, Job, he's just wicked, uh, unless we use it in that good way. That, that was really wicked to see that. But anyway, we, we have a high standard for wicked, but really God's standard is much different. If we go around pointing at people and calling them wicked, that's pretty harsh. But when you look at it from God's perspective, there are only two sides. You're either with God or you're not. And by the way, not making a decision is a decision because then you're not with God. By man's standards, you've got to be pretty terrible. But by God's standard, all it takes is somebody who says, you know what, I'm not with God. And God considers that person wicked, and he's saying in this passage, that's not where you want to go for advice. When we go to people who don't have godly, that don't have that foundation, or we go to books other than God's word, or books that aren't you know, even based in God's word, man's opinion, we're going to get led down the wrong path. There's reasons for that. Here's one of them. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. So when you go to people who don't know the Lord and you're asking questions about life, 
they're not going to they don't they're not going to give you the right answer and many times when i dealt with people in the factory and even today uh, i had a lot of people that marriage problems even before i was in ministry that would come talk to me and, and then i would say okay your husband or your wife's being terrible to you so here's what you do you treat them like jesus would huh what now i'm not talking about people who are physically abusive and junk like that. that's a different story but but when there were problems in the marriage, the, the tendency is if my wife's being bad to me, I'm going to be bad back to her because that's the way it's supposed to be. And then I sit there and tell them, no, you, you don't do that. Well, that's crazy. Or love your enemies. That's stupid. Who wants to love their enemies? And so when you start trying to bring God's word into the life of the person who doesn't have that foundation, it's crazy. They don't, they're like, What? And then I have people, why would you give money to church? You know, this for before I was in ministry. Why would you give money to church? And you explain it to them. Well, that's crazy. You could use that money for yourself. It just doesn't make sense. The other reason is differing value systems. Oops, sorry about that. Differing value systems. Um, we see in 2 Corinthians 6.14, where this is a passage we've read a lot. It says, do not become partners with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? Many times we've used this passage in church, say, Christian, you shouldn't marry a non-Christian. And honestly, that's true, because why? Value systems, they're different. Also, if you're going to go into business with somebody, and you're a Christian, you're a solid Christian, and your business partner's not, how do you think that's going to work? Because maybe you feel like God is a source of blessings and wisdom, and you're like, you know what? From the proceeds of my business, I'm going to give a tenth of it or more or whatever to church or to some charity. And your business partner's like, that's crazy. Why would you do that? Why are, we're not taking money that this business has. So you're already going to have conflicts. Or what happens when ethical dilemmas come up? And you're like, no, we're going to do this right. This, well, no, we're going to do what makes us money. I watched a good movie about that last night. And um, so those value systems will clash. And believe me, I've, I've dealt with a lot of marriages, Christian and non-Christian, it usually isn't good. It's painful, it's heartbreaking, because the value systems are so different. We are called not to follow the counsel of the wicked. In, in Malachi 3.18, we're told, then once more you will see that I make a distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not. And so God takes this seriously. And so one of the, the beginning step going down the path of ruin is when you say, you know what? I'm going to follow the counsel of the wicked. And by the way, we lament the fact that the church is not an influence on society like it once was. Well, you know part of the reason? Because we're going, for lack of better terms, using a biblical term, to the wicked for counsel. Instead of standing on God's word, lovingly standing on God's word, and being firm in the scripture, we are acquiescent to society. So we're getting to the point, instead of being salt and light, that we're just bland, and we lose our impact. And that's not going to get better until the church finally says, you know what, enough is enough. We can't jam our beliefs on people, but we can stand for what we believe in, and we should. We should, because we owe it to society to do it. Society needs us. Society needs the message of the cross. And they don't need it compromised by the gobbledygook that we hear in our society today. It's tough. Because when we just acquiesce in the things of, you know, what we've done with marriage, we've redefined it, which we have no right to, and we just say, well, it's okay, it doesn't, doesn't affect me, I'm not going to say anything about it, don't want to get labeled on Facebook by somebody. The problem is when we do that, we are doing a disservice to people. 
We're just, we're doing a disservice to God. When Christians start following the world's advice, world's advice, we'll find ourselves in deep trouble. So we begin down the path of ruin by, first of all, following and going to those folks for counsel. The next thing that we do after, as we follow, then the intimacy starts getting a little bit deeper. And then what we do is we move into standing with those who are on the path to ruin. So we're getting some advice. We kind of start kind of, kind of easing our way into that path. And the next thing you know, we're standing with them. We are blessed when the passage says when we don't stand in the pathway with sinners. Note the progression. Follow, stand. And that's the nature of involvement with sin. Usually we don't just full out jump in. For, you know, it used to crack, I don't say crack me, but that's not the right term. It was interesting when, when I'd hear, uh, back in the 90s, a lot of big ministers fell to, uh, big time ministers fell to adultery. And to, oh, he just fell into sin. No, he didn't. He didn't. You don't just fall into sin like you fall in a hole. You're walking around the edge of that hole and you finally fall into it because you were playing around saying, how close can I get to that? How close can I get? And, and then next thing you know, you're caught. You're caught in a trap. But you usually don't just dive in feet first. You know, some people do, but generally you don't. One begins when we turn to the wrong place for counsel, then we start slowly adopting those ways. We go to an occasional indulgence. Remember when you were kids and your parents told you if you did a certain thing, bad, this bad thing was going to happen to you? And then you did it and nothing happened? What'd you do next? The next thing, nothing happened. Or, you know, you liked it when the parents said, I know everything you do. And you're like, oh man. And then you find out they really don't. And then when you're an adult, you tell them they're just appalled, you know. Uh, so I still don't tell my dad stuff. But anyway. But so we do the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And we go from just trying to try it out and we just get deeper and deeper. The path speaks of the lifestyle of those who are on the path through and we start to join them. We move cl to a closer association with them and their behaviors. 1 Corinthians 15.33 and by the way, particularly for our young folks, you need to memorize this passage and think about it. And when your parents are trying to parent you, they know this. Bad company corrupts good morals. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Most of the time, more times than not, as a Christian, I say, you know what? I'm going to try to win these people to Christ, but I'm going to go into their arena and do it. More times than not, when you keep going to that arena that you probably shouldn't be in, you are going to be influenced to the, by them more than you will on them. You've got to get them on a different turf. Hey, I'm going to go to the gentleman's club tonight and witness to my friends. Well, good luck when you come home and your wife's waiting for you. But, but that's not the place to do it. Because if you continually go there, you're going to be corrupted. Bad company corrupts good morals. And for you younger folks, you need to watch who you associate with. Because those people, and I'm not saying you ignore them and you hate them. You don't do that. You try to share Jesus with them. But if you go with them into their, into their arenas, eventually you're going to be in those arenas and you're going, to, you're going to follow them. The next step is that final plunge where it says we sit in the seat with scoffers. The passage says we're blessed when we do not sit in the assembly of the scoffers. Now, a scoffer is an arrogant individual who loves conflict. Proverbs 22.10 says, drive out the scorner and the contention will leave. Strife and insults will cease. In other words, 
a lot of times, you ever dealt with drama in your life? Lots of it. Or you've been in an organization, there's a lot of drama. And so what do we normally do? We just put up with it. And what happens? More and more and more drama comes, right? Proverbs says, pull the weed. Get the drama person out of the way and the drama stops. Get the scorner away and the contention stops. Instead of trying to continue to placate those individuals. When I worked with Square D Company, for instance, we had tons of rules. We'd clock in and clock out, just multitude of rules. And the company did a study. And when they did this study, it was, it's a Fortune 500 company, so they, they did this stuff. They did this study, and they determined literally that 95% of the rules of that company were for 5% of the people. So you know what they started doing? They whacked 95% of the rules and whacked the 5% of people. They gave them a chance, like we went off the time clock. You didn't have to punch it. But if they caught you lying about your time, you got put back on the time clock. You got a chance. It's like cancer. You try to cure it, and if you can't, you cut it out. They tried to cure it, and when you couldn't, they cut it out. Made the place a much nicer place to work, by the way. To sit with means to completely identify with those on the path. In other words, you listen to them at first, you kind of test the waters and, and stand with them. Next thing you know, you're sitting with them. Man, you're just relaxed. You're identifying with it. You're embracing their proud, sinful ways and behavior because, hey, that's me now. Before we realize it, our life is cast in a brand new mold. And we're full into it. And that's really sad. The change comes so complete that we get to the point where we're sneering at God, his people, and his ways. Let's move to verse 2. By contrast, the one who's blessed, instead he finds pleasure in obeying the Lord's commands. He meditates on his commands day and night. So the next thing we see is the path to blessing. In contrast to the path of ruin, if we want to be on the path to blessing, it really begins with a different mindset. And that's what this verse is talking about. See, the pathway of blessing and happiness in one's life has to do more with what they do versus what they don't do. In other words, verse 1 says don't do these things. But really the key to blessing in life is more about what you do. For instance, a lot of times what we'll do is we'll have a checklist. Well, Christians don't do this. We don't do this. We don't do this. We don't do this. I'm okay. But what the psalmist is telling us, he says, when you look back at that verse, instead he finds pleasure in obeying the Lord's commands. He meditates on those commands day and night. Now, I can do one of two things. I can refuse to walk in the path of ruin because I feel guilt I don't want to get in trouble. Or I can do it because I know that God has a better path and a better plan and a better way to walk. When, it, when it's a choice between the counsel of the wicked and the Lord, it should be no contest for the one who loves God. Because see, when you go back to that verse again, it tells us we find pleasure in obeying. You know, when we're forced to do something, what do we typically do? Are we happy about it? This is not meant to be political, but when COVID hit and they came out with the mask thing, I believe that they did more harm than good when they forced it on people. When they forced it, okay? Because what do we do as Americans particularly? When you force us to do something, we're not going to do it. 
Now, some people will follow, you know, like sheep and do whatever you tell them to do. But most of us aren't that way. See, I think they would have been much better off saying, look, here's what's happening. With the information we have right now, we believe this will help, and here's why. And I think they wouldn't have had so much resistance. Now, there had been some, no matter what, that wouldn't do it. But I think that it just built that resistance because we're forcing you to do this. You know, it was just so silly when they would let Walmart and these big places open, but mom and pop shops that carried the same stuff, couldn't, they couldn't stay open because we were forcing them to shut down. And see, when you force people to do things as a parent, you know, I've, heard, I've had some young parents say, well, you can't make your kids obey. Yes, you can. My parents made me until they couldn't. There comes a point where they couldn't. But the thing is, you can make your kids do what you tell them to do by force. You can force it, but what's going to happen eventually? They're going to resent you quickly, and eventually, when they have the opportunity, they're not going to obey anymore. Okay? The other way you can do it is get them to, to do what they're supposed to do because they love you. It's not always going to be easy, but they understand even when you tell them they can't do something, they might be upset, they might kind of fight it, but they know that you have their best interest at heart. In a marriage, you know, you can do things for your spouse because you're being forced to, because you're afraid something's going to happen, or you can do it because you love them. The same with God. God doesn't force you on the path. He loves you. And when you follow him because you love him, it's a different mindset. It's like diet. And I hate dieting, by the way. I don't like diets. I think diets are a waste. Here's why. What you do is you get a mindset that says, I'm going to follow this diet, right? And you follow this diet. It's the, you know, the, the, the Dunkin' Donut diet, you know, and you follow the Dunkin' Donut diet and you're chowing down those bad boys and you start, okay, that's not good because you won't lose weight. But you follow this diet and you lose your weight, right? I've seen it happen time and it's happened to you, it's happened to me. You lose that weight, but guess what happens? You start slipping. You start slipping. It was real easy for me to lose weight during COVID because we couldn't go out and eat. And I was working out like crazy. I lost a lot of weight and got myself back in con decent condition. But then when COVID relaxed and you have church dinner Thursday, Friday, we had church dinner Saturday, we're going to go for church lunch today, you know, it's hard. But what happens is you get out of that zone because your mindset's not strong. And so you start slipping. And then you slip. You don't gain 10 pounds in a day. I'll gain three or four, actually, but not 10. <laughs> but I drive by the donut shop and I gain weight. I hate it. It's not right. <laughs> not fair. But the thing is, your mindset changes. This is why diets are a failure in the long run, because your mindset changes. If you want to keep weight off, you have to have a mindset change that says, you know what, I'm not just eating this way until I lose 10 pounds. This is how I'm going to eat. This is my reality, and I got to gear up for it. Because if you don't, it'll all come back. It always does. And the same when we're walking with God. If you don't feel what verse 2 says, if we do not feel that love for God and that pleasure in doing it, we'll fight it. We'll fight it. And we won't spend time with it. We'll do what we have to, but we really won't do it for the right, for the right reason. The path to blessing is not just about doing what's right. Because remember, if you ever taken your kid to tell them when they were little, say, apologize to somebody, you got them by the scruff, and they, apologize to Jane over here, I'm sorry. Do they really mean it? No, they're just doing it because you're making them. 
doing right's not enough. We have to find pleasure and joy in doing it. And that joy and pleasure springs forth for your love for God. It's like, you know, for my wife. I want to do things for her because I love them. I want to do things for my daughters because I love them. I do things for my cats because I love them, you know. I love doing those things, you know. It's not, I don't, it's, oh, I got to clean the litter box today. I got to feed them today. No, I do them because I love them. My wife wants me to do things. I do them because I love her. My marriage isn't just about a ring and a piece of paper. It's about my love for my wife. And that's how our faith has to be. That how God's teaching should guide us. Because one obeys the commands of God and finds, we find joy and pleasure in them. And we're not feeling forced. When I was a kid, the faith I was raised, I felt like I was forced to do everything. Sit, stand, kneel. Sit, stand, kneel. Say these words that everybody else is saying. <sighs> Wore me out. Couldn't stand it. Jesus repeats this theme himself in John 14, 15. If you love me, what does he say? You'll go to church all the time. You'll give money. You'll pray. Nope, he says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. When we're kids, we start out obeying. We get older and we stop. You know why? Because we love ourselves more than our parents. Because we want what we want, even though it's bad for us and our parents are trying to keep it from being bad for us, we love ourselves more. And I'm not being mean. We're all that way. They're, I loved myself more than my parents when I was younger because I was going to do what I was going to do as long as I didn't get caught. And I got caught a lot, so wasn't very smart. John says this, For this is the love of God that we keep his commands, and his commands do not weigh us down, or they're not a burden. So if I'm following Jesus and everything he has for me to do, I feel it's a burden, I probably don't love him yet. What do you do when you love someone or something? You spend time with them, don't you? If you, you know, baseball season starting, I am so thrilled. Pitchers and catchers have reported. I, I just love it. I'm going to spend a lot of time. I will listen or watch close to the 162 games. And being a Cardinal fan, I also get playoffs. You know, some teams don't get those. So I'm going to listen to the playoffs, hopefully the World Series. I am going to learn a lot. I will listen to sports radio in the mornings out of St. Louis to find out what they have to say about the game I just listened to. I will spend an inordinate amount of time on baseball because I love baseball. I will focus on it. If you love someone or something, you'll focus on it. If you love someone or something, you will think about them. And so what we do is, he says that we will take those words, we will take that word, we'll meditate on it. Meditate, we think of the Eastern picture of meditation. Or we'll think about uh, years ago, you, you, some of you have to Google at the Muppet Show. But, you know, uh, James Colburn was the guest star and he was going to Animal, to try their drummer, and trying to get him to learn how to meditate. Or one time in the office, Michael was was trying to get Stanley to calm down so he was going to teach everybody to meditate only to find out he was the problem. But anyway, it's not about that. Meditation is simply focusing on God's Word, thinking about it, spending time. It's no mystical thing. It's focusing on it. You know why? Because we love them. I love my wife. I focus on her. I spend time with her. I think about her all the time. And that's what we do with God's Word. Joshua 1.8 reminds us, this law scroll must not leave your lips but you must memorize it day and night so you can carefully obey all that is written in it, and then you will prosper and be successful. The path to blessing runs through God and his word. And then we'll finish up with this last thought in verse 3. It says, The person that does this, he's like a tree planted by flowing streams. It yields its fruit at the proper time, and it, the leaves never fall off. He succeeds in everything he does. So we see the blessing. 
So to talk about what it means to have this blessing, the psalmist uses the imagery of a tree. Now, in Israel, there are many parts of it that's kind of like Arizona. It's kind of dry. And when you would see trees in that area, it was because they were growing by water. Now, you'll notice around Sierra Vista, except for mesquite trees for the most part, you don't see a lot of trees except when I head to Bisbee, when you get down to the San Pedro Creek, as I call it, because I don't see much water in it, uh, you'll see that the tree, all of a sudden you see this greenery. And the first time we moved here, I'm like, what is this? And, oh, okay, there's a, a river, <laughs> a real river. You've got to go to Missouri to see those. But anyway, um, they're by the water, and so the water nourishes them. And because they're close to the water, guess what happens? They're green, the leaves don't wither, and the other thing that happens is they produce fruit. Now, when we live our lives in, for Christ, when we live them for God, what ends up happening, the closer to God you are, the greener you'll be figuratively and the more fruit you'll produce. Imagine in your backyard you planted a bunch of, uh, a bunch of orange trees. What do you expect to happen? You expect oranges, right? Let's say for 10 years you didn't get any oranges, not one single orange. What would you do eventually? Firewood. And you'd replant. This passage says the tree planted by the water will prosper. When you plant yourself near God, you will prosper. He says that everything you'll do, God will be with you. It doesn't mean that you won't have tough times. It doesn't mean every single thing, hey, I'm going to invest a million dollars in this and that's going to bring back millions more. It doesn't mean that. But it means that God is with us and will prosper. Part of that prosperity means that when I do see something that goes wrong, I learn from it. John Maxwell wrote a book once called Failing Forward. It's a really good book. It talks about how you don't really fail when you take what went wrong and you learn from it. Thomas Edison, I forgot how many thousands of times he attempted a light bulb. But you know what he didn't do? He didn't keep using the same filament thousands and thousands and thousands of times. He kept using different ones. Somebody said, asked him about that failure. He said, well, I learned several thousand ways not to make a light bulb. And so when you take the bad things in life and you learn from them, they're not failure. So when we follow God's word, it will change things. I've contended that even somebody that's not a Christian, if they took God's word and followed the, just the straight counsel in it, they're gonna, they're, they'll handle their money better, they'll be a better spouse, they'll be a better parent. Even without God in the equation, because the counsel is so good, now imagine following that with the blessings of God following you. It's, it's a big thing. My question for you this morning is, what are you investing your life in? What is the eventual return that you're hoping for? I hope a lot of us at my age and up, we've kind of figured that out. But for some of you younger folks, think about the path you're on. Where is it going to lead you? And is it where you really want to be? See, God lays out a path that will help you to be successful in life. It'll help you be, in, be blessed in life. And ultimately, it will lead to eternal life through Jesus Christ. And God wants you to prosper. But leaving him out of your life will lead to ruin because there are only two paths. Delight yourself in the Lord, and you'll be amazed at how things will change. This morning, our praise team is going to come up and lead us in a song of decision. And if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning to do that. You've got a God in heaven who, no matter, no matter what anybody else says about you, God loves you. He loved you so much that he knew you were going to be here. He knew you were going to separate yourself from him. And he says, I've got to figure out a way to get you back to me. And he did that through Jesus dying on the cross and being raised on the third day. If you need to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior this morning, we invite you to come forward this morning when we sing our song of decision. And if you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward this morning.
And maybe life's really got you going in a bad way right now and you need some prayer. If you need those prayers, come forward. I'll be glad to lift you up in prayer. But if you have a decision, we invite you to come forward this morning as we stand and sing our song of decision together.
Dave. One of the beauties of communion is it reminds us of more or less what we sang about here. You know, as a parent, when your child goes off the rails, you try to get them back on track. And we do it a variety of different ways. But when Adam and Eve were created and they went off track, God knew this was going to happen. And that's what amazes me about God is why would he create us knowing that we're going to mess up? knowing that Eve was going to make that choice, that Adam was going to make that choice, and that we all make that choice. You know, sometimes people say, well, I was Adam Eve. I wouldn't have done that. Yeah, he probably would have. But the fact of the matter is, we have a good, good father. And so he had a plan from the beginning. We see it clear back in Genesis, where he had that plan to bring us back, to have us, give us that opportunity to bridge that separation that's caused when we separate ourselves. God used to walk with Adam and Eve in the garden. It is amazing. That, I can't imagine what that was like. But then when they committed sin, guess what happened? God's looking for them and they're hiding. They're hiding. And then they realize, oh, hey, we're naked. <laughs> they lost their innocence. Little kids, man, they'll run around with nothing on. They'll, they'll run around the street with nothing on. They don't care. But then when they start to realize that's not the way to do things, they cover themselves as they should. Well, Adam and Eve lost that innocence when they separated themselves and God cast them out of the garden eventually. When we commit our first sin, we separate ourselves from God. But Jesus is that bridge that can bring us back. And when we take our communion this morning, we are reminded of what it costs for that to happen. The blood of Jesus was shed on that cross. His body was, it's amazing he even made it to the cross, but the Romans are really good at just taking you to the brink of death and pulling back. But Jesus died on that cross for our sins so that we could have eternal life. And to punctuate the point, he, rose, was, he was raised on the third day. He's seated with the Father. When we pray to Jesus, we're not praying to somebody who's dead. We're praying for someone who's actively interceding in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to take this communion this morning as a reminder of the sacrifice and the love that you showed us through Jesus. Father, I pray that as we take the cup and the loaf this morning, we do so with a joyful and thankful heart and that we will commit ourselves to an even deeper walk with you in the coming days. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
on the inside of your bulletin, we have announcements for this week. We have all of our youth activities going on this evening. Roger's Life Group will meet. Our Young at Heart will meet Monday. The church office will be closed on Monday because of the holiday. Also, all of our Bible study activities on Wednesday and things on Thursday. If you're on the security team, you have a meeting on Saturday. Uh, Operation Christmas Child, you'll see an announcement there. They're looking for small toys. Narrow Path, our off-road group, we're going to meet on March 11th. We'll meet here at the church at 8 a.m. We'll leave at 8.30. We're going to, our plan right now is to go to the back of the Huachuca Mountains. Hopefully that'll all work out. That's the plan right now. And read the, announce, read the announcement about that. We have a sign-up sheet in the back foyer. We also have one online. You can go to our church calendar online and sign up through that also. Um, the, there's going to be a shred-a-thon. You'll see an inf- some information about that also. Also, this month we've been doing Faith Promise. Our Faith Promise is where we take uh, pledges throughout through the month and for what people want to give to missions on top of what we normally give, and all that money that comes in will get sent to missions. Uh, this year, so far in the first two weeks, we've had 29 pledges for almost $30,000, and so that'll all go out to the missions. And so you'll find a card in the, in the, on the, foyer, in the foyer on the guest services table, and you can mark out your pledge and drop it in the offering plate. Do not sign it because it's anonymous. Uh, we don't really need to know who's going to do it. We just are kind of getting an idea so we can let our mission, missionaries know what we'll be doing this next year. Also, there is a sign-up link on our website on the front page. At this time, I'm going to show you a clip from one of the missions that we support, uh, CareNet here in Sierra Vista. Computer. Unmute. Okay. Worked in first service. Sorry about that. Try it again. Okay. Let me go back and fix it.
It was a great video, it was just really quiet. It worked perfectly in first service. Don't know why it's not in second. Okay, anyway. Um, CareNet's one of the missions that we support, and they do a lot of good work here. They, they do ultrasounds for ladies who come in who are pregnant. They also have education opportunities to help teach uh, parenting skills. They have an opportunity to earn uh, uh, what they call baby bucks within the organization so they can go into the store that they have there to get items that they need for their children. And the store is very well stocked, but it, it's a really neat place. So maybe one day I'll get the video to work and we'll figure it out. But anyway, that's what we were going to show you. So at, at this time, also in the back of your bulletin, we'll go ahead and hit our next slide and go to our prayer slide. There we go. We have prayer requests in the back of the bulletin. Uh, we, one of the pledge, uh, blessings, we had 29 pledges for almost 30,000 so far that go toward that. And we'll, we'll do this through the rest of this month, and then that's all we'll do on the, on the uh, faith promise. Uh, we have a lot of people with health concerns. Um, please keep them in your prayers. We have troops who are deployed. We have shut-ins that we, that we uh, check in on. We also have the missions that we support and the outreaches that we're a part of. So at this time, let's stand together, and I'll close with a word of prayer. We make sure you take the prayer concerns home with you. And uh, then we'll, we'll dismiss with a, a, a song from the band playing us out. Father, I thank you that we can come together this morning for worship, Lord. And I pray that for all the, all the folks we've been praying for on our prayer concerns list, Lord, uh, that we bring healing to them. And Lord, I pr thank you for the pledges we've had so far for Faith Promise. Lord, I pray that as we live life this week, we live it to the fullest for you and share the message with those around us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.